Oh, I just got a craving for butter. And notice the phrasing on that. We say, I got a craving, like we just shopped for it. I got a garden hose. Or it's like a Christmas present. Ah, I got a sweater again. So the hose came from the hardware store, the sweater came from Amazon, but where did we get our craving we just got? The butter example isn't something we just made up. In March of 1748, a career scientist recording spiritual experiences that had begun happening to him wrote in a log that he directly perceived a connection between the arrival of a particular spirit and a desire in himself for butter. Now, I know it's kind of a silly example, but if the principle is accurate, does it apply not just to a fondness for dairy products, but to the kinds of cravings for substances that tear apart lives, families, and whole communities? Is there a piece we're all missing that completes the puzzle of addiction? Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life Today. We're going to be asking, do spirits play a role in addiction? As always, I'm your host, my name is Curtis Childs. And if we're going to do a show that has a topic like, do spirits play a role in addiction, we've got to get some disclaimers out of the way before we start. And the first and most important is that Swedenborg and Life is not medical advice. And it's not greater than or or something that supersedes medical advice. We're not trying to say, oh, everything about addictive Uh, behaviors and things is spiritual. So forget everything you learned in the physical. The studies that people are doing in the way the brain works around addiction, all the work that people, physical people have done about it is awesome. Don't throw it away. This is just meant to augment that and hopefully add another layer to it. So we're not trying to make this uh, medical advice that we've, that the human race has gathered around it obsolete. We're just hoping to add a a layer of information that should be helpful. Also, we're doing a show that's a Swedenborgian look at addiction, but the problem is uh, the term addiction in the current sense that we use it, almost clinical term, wasn't used like this until the, like the 20th century, and Swedenborg was writing a couple centuries before that, so we're taking what he said that seems to apply, and we're putting it in there, so we're drawing some lines ourselves. Another disclaimer, we are not saying, that because we will, this is a spoiler alert, we will be talking about evil spirits in this show. It does not mean that people who are addicted to any kind of substance or anything else are evil, even if there is an association with spirits like that. It's not the way that it works. It doesn't mean it's a a referendum on your character just because of the spiritual dynamic. We're also not going to get into any of the conversations about is there a place for drugs at certain point, and all those side conversations, we we don't have time. We're not going to go into those right now. Not to mention... If you're going to be talking about, do spirits play a role in addiction? With Swedenborg, that's kind of like asking, are there chemicals in my food? Well, all food is chemicals. Everything is chemical. According to Swedenborg, everything in the heart and mind was intertwined and originates in the spiritual world. So there's no, do spirits, spirits play a role in everything. We're just looking for what what potential role are they playing in the Swedenborgian mindset. With all of that, why would we even want to make a show? Well, it's because the stuff that Swedenborg wrote is so, oh, ouch, my hand, is <laughs> so potentially relevant. When you look at his, particularly his journal of spiritual experiences, he talks about the origin of the nature of cravings and of desires, and it seems like there might be something in there that's not just relevant, but a really important piece in understanding why our minds work the way we do and trying to unravel some of these puzzles. So that's why we're getting into it, and we're going to begin now by looking at the nature of wanting things and where it comes from. Swedenborg makes the claim that all of our thoughts and feelings are attached to or affected by societies of spirits. And if that sounds weird, I have a warning for you. This gets weird. Uh, This is going to be, if this is your first time watching this show, it's going to be a pretty intense episode and we are going to talk about things like spirits affecting thoughts and feelings. We're going to talk about evil spirits. It's, but I wouldn't be too scared about it because the way Swedenborg describes it, as I already said, spirits are always involved in everything. It's more like how there are always germs attacking your immune system or attacking your body and your immune system is responding. This is a normal part of life to have heaven and hell pressing in on either side. And yeah, 
this is this is a fasten your seatbelt kind of thing. And with that said, let's see if we can give you your money's worth and get this as weird as possible. This is, and it was weird to Swedenborg too when he began having these experiences and figuring out, oh, that this is what's behind what's going on in the heart and the mind. So let's see what we're talking about here. This is from his journal of spiritual experiences, two one six nine. He says, everything, whatever that exists in a person's mental life and feelings, evil as well as good, has spirits and societies of spirits who exactly interact with it. Just one such case was when I was taking pleasure in some unimportant details, either in regard to writing or eating or drinking or something else, like while buying things I had desired in times past and for which I had acquired a liking. So just normal, everyday things for him. When those enjoyments recurred, there there then were spirits and societies of spirits that had exactly the same enjoyment, so that they were much more desirous than I myself, even to the point that they could hardly control themselves without almost perishing." If they were not indulged and given those things, even though they knew they were of no use to them, but to me. So there's not anything mental or emotional in a human being that does not have societies of spirits that indulge and favor it. There is the clinching line. And you may be saying, I never hear spirits talking about that they like the stuff that I like to buy. Well, Swedenborg had, he was describing this overt nature of his experiences, but he can he says he deduces from them, this is going on with all of us, we just don't recognize it as spirits, we just recognize it as thoughts and feelings, but the same dynamic is at play in a more subdued way in every person, and the spirits may not be aware of us like they were aware of him, but there's still those forces acting on us. So Swedenborg started to have these experiences, realized how much the spiritual world was influencing this stuff that he liked to do every day, and he started to give labels to these different spirits. Now, spirits, that term in Swedenborg, that encompasses everybody who's ever been alive and died, everyone who's in the afterlife. This could be really good people that he calls angels, there are people in the middle that he calls spirits, or people who are still being processed, and even people who are bent on harm, which you would call evil spirits, or devils, or satans. Um, these are All of these fall under the broad category of spirits. And he would make all these subcategories of those, one of which is the spirits of bodily cravings, which are the ones we're going to learn about now. And these were the spirits that had an impact on him that he felt in his desires. And he had a lot of very interesting desires pop up that were connected with spirits. For example, uh, like we said in the beginning, things that you can potentially eat. He says there are various kinds of craving, not just the appetite for eating. A kind of craving causes us to desire numerous things, such as baths. So both spirits could influence his desire to eat and his uh, his desire oops, his desire for hygiene to get and sit in the bath. But it goes on from there. He was saying that one spirit, and this is from SE1564, one spirit longed so much for me to put on a certain suit that unless I did so, according to him, he could hardly live. And when I was dressed in it, he got such enjoyment from it that nothing could have been more enjoyable. And what wouldn't be, what would be more enjoyable than wearing that suit? I think that spirit speaks for all of us. Okay, it doesn't end there. He says, I was in a shop to buy cheese, and while I was buying, spirits poured into me a desire to buy this one or that one, to choose one above another, and to change my mind. So, you know, spirits are in there, like, don't, no, not not the mild cheddar, buy the Gouda. This matters to them, and they were affecting him, and because of the way his spiritual senses were opened, he was able to perceive it overtly, rather than just as the to and fro in your own heart, when you're like, mm, should I get that cheese? No, I should get that cheese. No, I'll just get them both. No, I'll just get that one. So, he goes on. Uh, there was, this is the one we mentioned in the beginning, there, at a certain heavenly spirit was present, and I was stirred for a desire, with a desire, by a desire for butter. So that's a heavenly spirit. That's the angel. So that's a good spirit. It kicked up in him this desire for butter. You can tell as soon as you eat butter that it's a heavenly sort of thing. And then finally, to the negative side of things, there are evil spirits who even arouse that pleasure of sitting for a long time in toilets and staying there beyond the required time, for devils delight exceedingly in toilets. And those devils, so you're going to have an evil spirit wanting you to hang in a certain place. Those devils got a real boost when smartphones came out, right? Because that was like, you sit there longer than you need to because you got to finish reading your article. So that is the nature of the ubiquity of spiritual influence on the things Swedenborg found in his life. And from that, he had a lot of sub-insights about 
given this dynamic, how do I navigate the mind? And something that he says that he learned was that dwelling on what he would label unimportant things can be problematic because it sort of leads to this spiritual entanglement. This is Spiritual Experiences 2176. He says, By much experience within several years, I have been taught that one should not resolve to do anything that is really unimportant for the reason that one thereby not only loses one's freedom, but also gives spirits an opportunity to desire it, and thus to persuade. For it is the nature of spirits to desire intensely, and then to persuade regarding some matter as if it were a most definite cause, and should all, by all means be done. He goes on to say, For this reason the Lord sometimes even permits something that he would not have permitted if the person had not resolved to do it, but would instead have given him a conviction and feeling for something good, and for what is conducive to that good thereafter, besides being gifted in this way with freedom. It seems to me like you're talking there about if you don't have a general sense of a trust that there is a divine providence moving things, if you latch on to something particular and say, I, I have, this has to happen, and get obsessed with it, that can actually, that can bring in spirits who will reinforce you in that and say, you've got to do this. No, we've got to do this. Even if you don't, for your, your overall destiny and your development and the story of your life, you don't need that thing, but you think that you do, that can lead to problems and even can cause God to say, all right, well, we're going to let it happen, even though it's not as good as what would have happened if you had just eased up on it. So what what kind of thing would he be talking about? I have no idea, so I'm going to take a stab at it. Uh, and the stab is, is stabbed with this. What is that? Kids, that's called a CD or compact disc, and that is used, it used to be where you would put music when you made music. So long, long time ago, before the beginning of time, I was just like at the end of college in that sort of era of my life, and I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. There's a couple of things that I thought I was good at, and one of those was music, and I had a set of songs that I was like, I want to make an album with this. If I had resolved that I have to be a career musician, and I have to get this particular album published in a certain way and get it to the top of the charts and really focused on that, I may have sabotaged my own path of life, which led me to being here on this show with you today, which of course I would not trade to be a famous musician. Um, so I don't know if that's the kind of thing he's talking about, but it's, I think it's it's not that it's bad to have goals and to go after those, but to resolve with certainty that this thing, which I don't know if it's actually the right path for me, I have got to do it, that can be problematic, according to Swedenborg. So let's let's look at another sub-insight. I think I just made up that term, uh, this very show, which is this concept that I could call spiritual reinforcement. This is where, when you resolve to do something, spirits uh, come in and, and make it a problem. So let's give a physical example here. We have on the table uh, what I would call a physical representation of this phenomenon. Initially, we have a jar here, and within it is a liquid within a liquid. Right? There's one liquid filling the whole jar, and then there's this like black, inky sort of stuff at the bottom there. You see it? Looks pretty cool, right? So this ink is hanging out here, just sitting around, and let's say this thing shows up on the scene, right? Let's say that this is us. Because of the nature of us, some quality that we possess, let's say this here, as spirits in the spiritual world, they're just sitting around, but because we are who we are, doing the thing we do, when we come close, whoosh, we get a reaction. They come pouring in, attracted to the nature of our life. And you see, the more they come, the more they attract. So how does that play out in the spiritual world? Well, let's show a little diagram. Uh, so if you were, you can insert your behavior here, uh, whatever it is, and, you know, it can be your own personal vice or whatever. But look, this is, this is how it works. Um, we're here, put our hands in our pockets, doing something, right? We are doing something. Whatever we do, that's like that magnet to spirits in the spiritual world who are into that same sort of thing. So whatever it is, that attracts them. And once they're there, then they start to put their will behind it and get you to want to do that thing more and again. And if you keep doing it, the larger your crowd, remember how that ink, that metallic liquid just came in, more spirits see that and they come over like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? And that further reinforces the behavior, right? So we end up with a whole phalanx of these spirits that becomes pretty tough to break. And so the more that you participate in things, the more that they 
solidify. And this starts to lead us into these um, human behaviors that are very hard to break out of. And so far, we've been given silly examples, right? We're talking about looking at stuff on, or looking at um, butter or sitting on the toilet. But it gets a little darker and a little more intense in Swedenborg's work. For example, there were spirits that tried to force him to look at unpleasant or revolting things as he was walking down the street. This is his words uh, describing that experience. When I was walking on the street, they drew my eyes away to such things. Wherever there was filth, dung, or intestines, there they directed my eyes. Even though I was unaware myself where these were on the street, because I do not pay attention to such things, they nevertheless saw them without my notice and forced my eyesight in that direction whether it was to the side or around my feet, either near or far away, and they would not turn my eyes toward anything else. And I was told that this is the nature of those who are cruel and adulterous. Have you ever felt, have you ever felt like that? Or, I don't really want to have these things catching my eye, but they are, or, or the pole when you're on your phone and there's like all these ads down the side, you're just like, ah, I can't. Is that, is that the same sort of phenomenon pulling through? You may have noticed that he said there were intestines on the street, uh, that's the 18th century for you. You know, Butcher is throwing that stuff out. There's all kinds of filth on the streets, and he didn't want to look at it, but they're pulling him in this direction. And you notice that he talks about because of their cruelty in life, when they were in this life, they want to look at the corresponding things. Swedenborg says that physical things are a symbol for spiritual things. So something like disgusting poop or disgusting intestines, that corresponds to the disgusting urges people have to harm each other and, and do so for their own benefit. Still, it's rather innocuous, kind of, you know, make your tongue fall off or something, but something else was happening that was going right after Swedenborg's tongue. This is Spiritual Experiences 1360. He says that there are also among spirits those who hate truth, and for various reasons, and indeed spirits of whom no one could have ever suspected it, they have bothered me for a long time, in fact, for weeks, for even over a month, and have brought on that kind of hazardous impulse to put my tongue between my teeth and then bite it off. I complained about this for a long time, finding it unbelievable that any person should be troubled by such an impulsive urge. I do know where it comes from, for the cause of it is that they are all spirits who hate truths. And the tongue is a correspondence or a symbol of truth, because you, you can use it to disseminate truth. And because those spirits had an aversion to truth, they gave this Swedenborg this impulse to bite off his own tongue, enough that it was he was complaining. I don't know who he's who the complaint department is once you get to that level of lucid spiritual experience, but he was he was filling out those forms, right? So this is something that can lead into pretty nasty stuff, and we are going to look in this next section at how potentially this ability of the spiritual world to push us towards things could be interrelated with the sorts of behavioral loops people get in that end up destroying lives all around them. So we're going to look in section two, at how that might work. And for this section, we're going to bring back uh, an old friend of the show that we've had in a couple of episodes here. Maybe you've seen him. His name is Jerry Marzinski, and he first appeared in this episode, How to Deal with Evil Spirits. So Jerry is a licensed therapist who worked for over 30 years. He's retired now in a clinical setting with people who, a lot of whom were uh, hearing voices or psychotic. He worked in both prisons and hospital intakes uh, and, and places associated with that. And he was, while he was working with these patients, asking them about what they were experiencing. So if they were hearing voices, he would say, well, what are the voices telling you to do? And just gathered, you know, phenomenological phenomenological data that way to what get a picture of what these voices are like. And he was able from that to figure out a lot about how these voices operated and general trends, and also found it was very similar to a lot of stuff Swedenborg had said about how evil spirits were influencing him. And Jerry had a lot of experience with people who were addicted to drugs or uh, what we would now call substance use disorder, or had been, and he got some, he got to hear from them how the voices reacted to drugs in general. So this is from an interview we did with Jerry 
for this show. He begins with this point. There, there was one quote that I read in Swedenborg where he talked about dealing with evil spirits and then feeling drained afterwards. Yeah, the quote he's referring to, this is one, there's, I think, one other one. He said, the Swedenborg says, when they attach themselves, they, he's talking about particular spirits, themselves to someone, they then induce mental torment from boredom, which they increase and breathe in continually, and thus make one impatient, all of which creates intense pain and induces such weakness of the body that one can scarcely raise oneself from bed. This was shown to me by the fact that when they were present, this kind of weakness took hold on me, and when they were removed, it ceased in the degree that they were removed. They also employ many an art to pour in boredom and by this weakness. Sorry, just wanted to show you what he's talking about. Back to Jerry. That's a very uh, significant point. Um, what these things feed off of is negative emotional energy. Sorry, one more, just one more. Because there is, again, Swedenborg, a couple hundred years earlier, describing the same thing that Jerry found in asking these patients. A certain murderous spirit was inwardly thinking of nothing else but revenge, and in fact so covertly that I saw nothing of what he was thinking. He raised up in everyone his own subjects. From my mind, he raised up whatever he could distort into evil and then into hatred, and so he fed himself continually. This is a way that he gains sustenance. Plus, a couple episodes ago, we did an episode called Does My Life Matter? And in that, we talked about how angels feed off of good thoughts and feelings. So this would be the result, or the reverse of that. So I'll stop interrupting now. We're going to hear Jerry talk about, given that, that these whatever these negative entities are that he's interacting with, that they feed off of negative emotion. What? How does that interface with substance use, and why would those voices be pushing for that in the first place? So here's what he had to say. And that's what they get out of the, the drug use, because the drugs at first, what they want is drugs that feel good at first, you know, and, um, you know, they, they help the person calm their, their nervousness and their anxiety, and, and they change, uh, you know, the way you see things, so it's novel. And it's easy. It's, it's, you don't have to work like meditation. Um, so what they want is a drug that feels good at first, but the withdrawal is extremely negative. Right? And once you feel bad, like Swedenborg said, once you feel bad, then you start thinking bad. Right? And then they jump on that and they expand those thoughts as much as possible. It's like they pour gasoline on the fire. So you, know, you feel good at first, you get, you, you get the high, you're, you're feeling wonderful, and then the withdrawal becomes extremely nasty the further you go. So bottom line, what these things are after is to turn your emotional energy negative. And believe it or not, in interviewing these patients, he found out that there is a hierarchy of preference for drugs for these voices or for these spirits. In case you want to know, this is what they're pushing for. He says, crystal meth is by far the top and that they'll try to get people who, who are psychotic to be using that or sometimes psychosis will, or meth use will trigger the start of the voices. He puts spice up there, which is like synthetic marijuana. It's called synthetic marijuana. It's actually quite a different chemical. He said those two they're after, heroin and alcohol are about the same in terms of how much the spirits want to get them and then cocaine. After that, those are the top because they create this cycle that he's talking about of heavy withdrawals and negativity and this this craving for it. I want to focus a little bit on alcohol here and and the craving for alcohol because Jerry gave this interesting anecdote about a guy who was in the prison system and had come through all these different units and ended up with Jerry as his counselor. And Jerry was talking to him about the nature of his uh alcoholism. And in there, he found out that this guy was reporting all kinds of interaction with the spiritual world and, and told Jerry some about what was going on. So here's what he had to say. He was a bad, bad alcoholic. And he started telling me about fighting spirits and seeing spirits and spirits chasing him. It was a whole different world, but he wasn't psychotic. You know, he, he wasn't hearing voices. And, and I'm looking at him like, this is, this is really strange. And uh, you know, he talked about casting spells on people, making them sick. You know, I asked him, I said one day, well, if you can do all this stuff, why can't you stay sober? And I braced myself. I thought he was going to go crazy on me. Uh, and I'm sitting there like, okay, you know, here it comes. And instead of exploding, he said, 
it's because of the spirits of dead alcoholics. He looked me straight in the eye and he said, there's a bar in Phoenix near where he lived for a while that he said they were piled so high up to the sky that he couldn't even see the end of them. And if he went anywhere near that bar, he said they would attack him. And if he had any alcohol in him at the time, he said it was even worse. And he said once they got in, he lost all control. So somebody here is describing particular spirits influencing them toward a particular physical experience. And I'm sure as all of you at home thought, this reminds me of spiritual experiences 1566, where Swedenborg says, the spirits called cravings cause us to crave or arouse our appetites. And from this, they derive their enjoyments, but the sense is our own. Those spirits had brought along from their life in the body the character of ardently longing for specific bodily enjoyment. So is the enjoyment of alcohol one of those particular enjoyments? Jerry says that in his workings with patients, this concept of spirits actually being behind the cravings, I know it sounds strange, but the concept of that actually is the most potent tool that people can get in kicking these cravings, that once you realize or or once you believe that there are external forces working on you trying to get you to do things, he says that, Jerry says that actually that drastically improves somebody's chances of being able to detach from the cravings and, and push back and ultimately get some some purchase. So here's how he described it. Once they realize in all these things that it's not their intention to have become a amphetamine freak or a cocaine freak or an alcoholic. That's not their intention. And they, whose intention was it? That opens up a whole new world, okay? Once they see that it's not their intention and that those thoughts don't belong to them, then the voices lose a hook there. You probably noticed a pattern here. We give support from Swedenborg to what he's saying, but I love convergences. And when I heard Jerry's, uh, what he had gathered with, along with Swedenborg, I was like, this is too good to be true, because Secrets of Heaven 6206 says, if we, and this is a point Swedenborg makes in a lot of places, if we believe the fact of the matter, meaning that all good is from heaven and all evil is from hell, we would be assigned goodness from the Lord, not evil. That is because the moment evil flowed in, we would think, this is from the evil spirits with us. And when we did, angels would turn it away and cast it aside. Angelic influence acts on what we know and believe, not on what we do not know or believe. It attaches only when there is something in us to attach to. So why are we doing this show in the first place? According to Swedenborg, you have to have that concept in your mind. There is angelic power that wants to deflect the power of negative influence, but unless you have the concept in your mind that this is not originating in me, that there are, there are third parties here, or second parties, whatever they are, then suddenly you have this, there is this power of heaven to come in and push things away, and that really changes that dynamic, and Jerry goes on a little bit about that. Once they break that and see that, like Swedenborg says, that's not their thoughts coming in there. These are thoughts, external alien thoughts, that don't belong to them, they're destructive. And they can create that and say, well, yeah, those, they're not mine. The guilt disappears, the fear disappears. It's no longer they don't feel crazy anymore. They can now see that there's external spirits that are invading their minds and keeping them going, you know, with the drugs, with the alcohol. So if we have this bit of information that potentially is that potent, how do we use it to free? It's not just like, oh, there are some people that are addicted to things, and then there's the rest of us. We all got stuff, right? They're talking about how cell phones are addictive. But even beyond that, we all have negative and positive stuff in our minds that we'd rather not have there. How do we take this knowledge and turn it into life change, and things getting better. We're going to look at that in part three. All right, so how do we put this stuff into action? To be free of this, we need two, what are essentially two psychological tools, and they are rationality and conviction. 
and we're going to look at what each of those means. First, to the importance of rationality. Swedenborg says rationality is essential. Our ability to make free rational decisions about what we prioritize in life is essential not just to navigating physical life, but it's essential to our spiritual growth as well, which is another reason perhaps why hell is trying to push for things that disrupt our ration that disrupt our rationality such as uh, getting too wrapped up in a particular substance and we have dr sony werner explaining a little bit about why and how becoming dependent on a substance interferes with the rational brain so here she is we all have a reward system let me show you a little bit about what normally works in our brain now down here is inside of your neck area. That's called the midbrain. And down here, called the VTA, is where things start. When we're about to, let's say if we really love chocolate, or we really love cigarettes, or we really love cocaine. But in a normal setting, let's say we're really liking chocolate cake. Down here is where things start. And it goes up here to the NA, which is the nucleus accumbens. And right there, that's what releases dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter, like a chemical. And when a neural transmitter goes up to this part of the brain, up to the front, that's behind your forehead, that's when we feel happy. That's when we feel excited when our football team wins. That's when we feel excited because we ate the chocolate cake. That's a normal reward system. And then the, once the dopamine kind of dissipates, then we calm down. And then we're back to kind of a steady state. Now, the problem with an uh, opiate or a uh, heroin, cocaine, is that it, it sort of intensifies the whole system. So again, starting here, going to here, going to here. Now let me point out something that's really important. Right here, right about here, behind the frontal lobe, that's what, if that's active, that's when you're making really careful decisions. Like let's say you're trying to drive according to the speed limit, or you're trying to make sure not to waste all your money, or you're trying to make sure to be kind to the people near you. And then another part right next to it is called the ACC. And that's, it's almost like reins that we have on a wild horse that wants to go really fast. And if we have those reins, we can control our emotions. We can control our cravings. But unfortunately, those parts of the brain are not functioning very well when we're really an addict, when we're really a substance use uh, disordered person. So the problem is that you have dopamine, which again, when that's released from one neuron to another, that's what makes you feel <gasps> joyful, euphoric. But the problem is with something like heroin or cocaine is that we get way too much, way too much. And so the, the little tiny microscopic parts of the brain are just flooded with that dopamine. And it can't be, it's called reuptake, which means it gets recycled back into the system. Things get clogged. And after a while, it doesn't work so well. And that stuff back in here that allows you to make rational, careful objective decisions is essential. It's got to be functioning in order for us to grow spiritually. And is, But that is disrupted by being addicted or, or using a substance. But even when you're not using the substance, there's all this time we spend thinking about it. Whatever our particular uh, fixation is, there's all the time sort of leading up to it. That also, we're not totally in our rational state there as well. And Sony described that a bit. Now, what's interesting is that researchers are now looking at what happens when somebody is craving. They know what it feels like to have the euphoria from cocaine, and they get into drug-seeking behavior. Just like if, if I love coffee or I love chocolate, I'm, I'm in a coffee-seeking behavior. I go to Starbucks and I want my coffee. And all the anticipation of going to get it is, <gasps> we're almost excited with anticipation. Well, imagine that a hundred times more for somebody who's going to their street corner to get the cocaine, or they see the drug paraphernalia. Their, their heart is racing. They're getting excited about it. And we even get addicted to the anticipation before we actually get the drug in our body. So just the very thought of it, we are flooding our body, our brain with that dopamine. And that means the really logical part of our brain, it's taking a nap. It's not going to regulate us. And why, why am I going on or why are we going on so much about rationality? Why does it matter from a Swedenborgian perspective? Let's lay out the importance of rationality in the mind. And here's a little chart to help us along. That's our mind on the left. 
right? You have your higher, most basic division is the higher and lower mind. You have your higher goals and feelings, and then your lower impulses, your cravings, right? And those two are at war. The lower impulses and cravings are trying to take out the higher ones and run the show. In Divine Providence 260, Swedenborg says, the earthly mind, being the envelope and vessel of the higher levels of the human mind, is reactive. If the higher levels are not opened, it acts against them. And you don't got to have Swedenborg to tell you that. We all know that stuff that is more impulsive and less rational can at times sabotage our higher, more uh, noble aspirations in life. But are they always just going to be at war like that? No, because there is this middle actor that is rationality. Swedenborg says, when it's functioning rightly, rationality can work to subdue the lower impulses and cravings and keep them from trying to run the entire program. It's not that they're so need, they need to be gone, but when they've been subdued, our higher aspirations, the spiritual stuff in us, can actually move through the rationality into this lower part. Swedenborg says in Divine Providence 260, whereas if they are opened, it acts with them, they being the higher levels of the mind. So it becomes that we're not getting rid of the lower, more superficial cravings in life, but they are turned towards things that can cohabitate with the higher, more important goals, the spiritual things in life. So the three work as this system together. That's how it's meant to be, all the parts functioning together rather than fighting against each other, and it ends up with the best scenario for us. However, there are things that can interrupt it. We're going to look at two. Swedenborg says mental illness can kind of put it on pause. He says mental illness deprives us of rationality and therefore of the freedom to act rationally, that it's it's hard for us to have a a rigid barrier between the two or, or create order. And also, the other side of it is uh, what he calls a bodily disorder that affects the brain. So he says the state of the mind depends upon the state of the body. So addiction or substance use disorder would probably fall, could fall along both of those, just showing that these are things that disrupt that natural flow. And it's not, you don't have to be in one of those. It can just be that we get irrational sometimes, but you can see that those disrupt what is meant to be this barrier of sorts or this moderating influence that keeps the peace between the higher and lower things in our mind. So Swedenborg talks a little bit more about the importance of rationality and freedom and why we need them in Divine Providence 85, where he says that the reason we are reformed and regenerated by means of these two abilities known as rationality and freedom, the reason that that in fact we cannot be reformed and regenerated without them is that it is through our rationality that we can discern and know what is evil and what is good, and therefore what is false and what is true. Now, these evil and good, there's a loaded language, and I said we're not saying that we're evil for our various uh, addictions or things that we're stuck in. Think about harmful and beneficial. It's just when you get to a point where you it's hard for me to really be choosing what's beneficial for myself because I can't tell it apart from gratification, right? So he says, then through our freedom, we can intend what we discern and know. And in case, you know, we all have areas we're working on in this, in case you want some resources, like I said, we're not medical advice. If you are wondering, do I have some kind of disorder around this stuff? Here's a good website that has sort of a criteria for what addict, what being addicted to something is. This is an interesting video about the, how the whole dopamine cycle works and everything like that. Like I said, go out into the world, find out what people have learned. That's, that's the medical advice. If you don't have that solid foundation in that, nothing we're talking about here is going to be helpful. You've got to take care of it on all the levels. That said, we are talking about it from a spiritual perspective here, so why don't we see, are there any spiritual tools that can augment the physical or natural tools that we have? We're going to look at how to break out, and that uh, really can be a part of our spiritual practice. And to get at how that happens, you got to talk to someone who's been there and who has used spirituality to get out. So we've we called up our buddy Peter Rhodes, an author who's been on our show before, and he talks. he's talking here a little bit about his journey out of addiction through spiritual means, and he's first talking about what it's like to be in it. Uh, you'll find yourself doing things that you, you don't even want to do because you know the price and you'd rather skip it, but you're powerless over that addiction. So even though you know going to that bar and having that one drink isn't going to work, and you want to be able to go home, you can't do it. And that might bring you to a program, and I use the 12 steps sort of as a spiritual path 
And the first one is I'm powerless over being selfish. My life's unmanageable. Step two is there is another will. And if you turn this issue over to rather than your attorney for your ego and uh, was it a kingdom divided can't stand, so it ain't gonna work. If you turn your will over to another will, a higher will, a more powerful will, uh, things might be possible. And then, of course, step four through ten, you look at that will, you admit you're powerless over it, you admit you're selfish, you humbly ask God to take it. And could you replace that will with your will? Because then, even though I want to stop at the bar, you might be able to drive me home. And that was my experience is his will can do things that I can't do. So it says God does for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And then when you start to experience that, that new will, because that makes things good because it's a good will. So you start to get along a little better at work. You start to not get pulled over by the police. Everything starts to work better. Uh, so you are missing the high you got and the friendship you got, but you're starting to see things work and you start turning more of your life over to that will to eventually that is the will that becomes as if it were your own. Of course, it's God's will. And we see what Peter is describing there that he feels like God gave him is what I think Swedenborg would call a conviction, which is our second tool here. And there are positive and negative convictions, as Swedenborg describes them. He basically defines the term as the resolve to to do something good. We talked before about the resolve to do frivolous things and how that's not helpful, but it's... uh, uh, deciding that I'm going to, even if I have feelings in myself that go against it, I would like to to work in this particular direction or ask for God to work through me in this particular direction. And Swedenborg talks about these convictions and their potential power, spiritual experiences 2926. He says, convictions clothe the person with a nature, and then spirits of the same nature are associated with the person. So here we get into changing our spiritual neighborhood. He says in Spiritual Experiences 282, once one has been imbued with a conviction that is true and good and has been strengthened in it by the Lord, so as to be held in the conviction, one can never be torn away from it. So we can get these things implanted in us, which become this permanent part of our character if we're willing to work with the divine on it. It's the reverse of what we saw before. You know, when we talked about this spiritual negative reinforcement, the same thing happens positively. So let's say we're hanging out, we've got some positive conviction or behavior, or, or we've got a conviction in our mind and a behavior that comes from it, angels zoom into that. I mean, angels home in on that just like negative spirits home in on negative behavior. We begin to get heaven reinforcing the good things we do whenever we do with them. And the more heaven is involved, the more more heaven comes in and becomes involved. So even though we're just hanging out, it feels like you're just doing a small good thing, all these good spirits are trying to work with you. So that made it look like it's pretty fast. It's just the time of like putting your hands in your pockets and like thinking about something good. But it happens gradually. As we all know, there is a gradual change to build good habits. Swedenborg discusses this spiritual experiences 2988. While something of conviction can be given to us so that doubt would not thus arise, to be given conviction in one state and in one moment is not sufficient. For when the state changes and the next moment, we are as we were before. Meaning, oh, whoops, so convictions are given by many, I'll tell you what it means after, (laughs) by many confirmatory things and little by little or gradually, thus imparted by the Lord according to an order and according to a person's nature and character so that it will take root and then the person is convinced, like the angels, and it can be elevated into conviction by the Lord. For all states of conviction belong to the Lord. All states of positive conviction. All that means is you make a New Year's resolution in the moment. I'm, of course I'm going to do this. It makes so much sense for my life. Why wouldn't I do something like this? Then you get busy or you get tired or you get bored and you, I don't want to do this anymore. So to make a conviction stick, we have to commit to it In when things are going well, when things are not going well, in all these different states of mind, we want to, you know, and a conviction will be something really like, I want to do what's best for the world, I want to do something that's good, you know, that would be a true conviction, something spiritual, something higher, but if we do that, God can work into us and give us this power and this new spiritual neighborhood that will change things. So let's take a look at what we've learned today in our wrap-up segment. We've been looking here, uh, investigating the possibility that all instances of us craving and preferring things could have spiritual influence tied up in them. 
Swedenborg certainly seemed to indicate that there was this interplay happening all the time. So the dark side of this spiritual instigation and reinforcement part of what explains why addiction is that what explains why addiction is so predatory, persistent, and acts so forcefully against our best interests, right? Is that reinforcement making it hard to break out? But most importantly, is the knowledge of the spiritual side of things a key that can help free us, a way to overthrow unwanted spiritual interference in our lives? And can we replace that influence with positive convictions that can really lead to us being free? Freedom is the goal. It's the birthright of every human being. It's something that we want to be able to have in ourselves to be free and rational and learn how we can support other people in being as free and rational as they can be. And hopefully we use that freedom to lead us to these convictions, to do good things. And that has spiritual strength in it. That makes it harder and harder for the dark side of things to influence us. It makes us stronger. And the stronger we are, the more we can help other people. And the stronger other people are, the more they can help us when we need it. That's the point. We're all trying to figure out how to maximize the ways in which we help each other and spend our lives doing the things we really want to be doing rather than the things that some, you know, questionable spiritual influences want us to do. It's not really in our best interest. So there you go. Thanks so much for hanging out. If you want to do something that's really in your best interest, like and subscribe to use your freedom and rationality. This supports the channel. This is important to YouTube. I mean, this matters. It helps us keep going. And if you want to be a part of the engine that drives this sort of content, check out the potential of giving us a donation. We're a nonprofit. That's what we run on. Here's a little bit about our philosophy. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. We got a lot of questions. We're going to try to get to as many as we can, so I'm not going to even say anything clever. We're just going to start them. Here's the first one. Tara, can you pray or do anything for another who has addictions to lift them up? Yeah, that's a great question because it can if you're if you're trying to support somebody, it can be really hard. I know exactly what you're talking about. It can be really hard to get, to feel like there's anything for you to do. Um, you can always pray, and Swedenborg seems to indicate that it can have an effect, and it can have a more potent effect potentially on us. You know, I would say the the best shot is pray for them. I mean, that's it's it's just an outreach of empathy towards them, so there's no way that that's a negative thing. But also, in that prayer, you may find that you get some insight into how you can help, you know, or insight into how to handle it emotionally, that, that in the act of praying, according to Swedenborg, we are admitting the existence of God and, and admitting that we don't have all the answers, and that's powerful once we enter a state of humility like that. That's the fertile soil for angelic concepts to grow. So we may get a way, an inspiration of how we can help or, or a way to deal with it or some kind of wisdom. So I would say you certainly can. I don't know that it's going to be able to fix it for them, but I don't, I don't think anybody thinks that is how it's going to go. But I think everything where you have a good intention, do it. And how do I, you know, I don't know everything about it. So I'd say do it. Um, you know, you don't want to do it exclusively. You want to also maximize everything you can to try to help the way you know how, but add that on top, and it's great. So those are a few thoughts. A great question. Um, let's look at the next one. David, Jerry stated that one of his patients was harassed by dead alcoholics. Does that mean that when we die, we take our addictions with us? We take everything with us when we die, but we also have the opportunity to be divested of everything as well. Now, Swedenborg doesn't get into much how you end up retaining things like that. There's a process that everybody goes through, according to Swedenborg, where initially you enter the world of spirits, and this is where you either shed everything that's good about you, or you shed everything that's bad about you, depending on which one you want, and depending which things really made up your core. It could be that these spirits he's talking about this we that still had these addictions were 
in the intermediate in the introductory process like they hadn't yet shed things and got sorted out or it could be that they had chosen negativity um i think that if if you're choosing something positive you're able to kick everything because the physical is gone and then it's just false concepts that are leading you at direction so if you're open to instruction i don't think that it would be a problem i don't think that you really have to spend a lot of time kicking something that was physical as long as you are not like as long as you acknowledge that you don't want it no there's this freedom thing that makes it so that nobody can force you in a direction if you don't want to go just like in this world you know when people want to receive treatment they've got to agree to it they've got to know they're doing it so i would think that if we're willing to receive help they've probably got if you think about the programs we have here to help people out of addictions, they've probably got much better ones there. And I don't know exactly how much, because obviously the body is affected by addiction and the brain. So when you shed the brain, how much of that is still in your spiritual brain? Those are things I don't know. Like I said, we're just, Swedenborg doesn't describe it much and he doesn't know or doesn't reference the concept of addiction. So we're connecting some dots here, and it's a great question. I wouldn't worry too much like, oh, I, I drink coffee, I smoke cigarettes here, am I going to be able to kick that? Um, I think that probably it's only a problem if you're making it, your if you're not open to change, like you don't want to change. Those are a couple of scattered thoughts on it. It's a great question. I said that about both of them, but it was true about both of them. All right, let's look at the next one. Terry, why would the spirits of dead humans be given the right to torture others and not have to suffer for their own lives on earth before they died? So the torture, there's no there's no such thing as torture that's just torture. I mean, Swedenborg says nothing bad ever happens. Nothing that causes suffering ever happens unless it in the end leads to good. So anybody who's having these negative things uh affect them in life somehow in the end good is coming from it whether it's that we need to see what kind of negative tendencies we go along with so that we can have a chance to push them out and push back and there by that free ourselves from evils that's one potential or whether we develop this really clear understanding of the difference between good and evil you know and you have people people who have previously been in a condition are often the best advocates to get other people out because they really understand the condition and they're not just talking theoretically so maybe somebody is pulling this positive thing out of them um so it's not like people are just victims and and, and nothing's coming out of it providence is guiding all of that i would say that nobody is just harming people and and living a happy carefree life swedenborg says that evil carries with it its own punishment so any buddy who is making suffering the business of their life, they bring that suffering on themselves. It's not like that's a good life path for anybody. That If you get to the point where you your life is about making suffering for others, your life is worse than theirs. And Swedenborg talks all about how, how um, unpleasant a hellish life is. Uh, because you're just bringing all this stuff on yourself as you do it to people. So I wouldn't say it's like, oh yeah, I just get get away with things all the time. There, There's only permissions when things are useful and everything is just. You know, there is this, um, there are these checks and balances. And even for the people though, who are receiving s- sort of the retribution of evil in the other life, even then it's only when good can come out of it. It's only at, because it acts as a deterrent. It's not a revenge thing. It's like, the only way we can get you to stop harming people is for you to feel some of the effects of that harm, and that'll actually save you, because otherwise you'd immerse yourself deeper and deeper into this. Hope that makes sense. Um, those are my those are my thoughts on it. Again, good question. What are the odds? Okay, let's do two more. This is Selianus. Selianus. What do you do if you think you have latched onto something that was not the best God had for you? Oh, that's a great question. What do you do if it's already there and it's already in your mind? I don't know. My my first thought is the more we can actually believe in the idea of an outside higher intelligence, the better. And the more that we, like, in whatever way is 
the best or the most comfortable for you, you communicate with it like at least acknowledge its presence say i need help even if you're not getting a necessarily a response back the more that you can acknowledge your you know you the divine are uh you know you're talking to god in whatever language you want you're running my life i'm not running my life what do you want and the more we can practice that in little ways the more God can get in there. See, the divine providence is always trying to steer us towards what's what's truly good. So the more that we can let go of things and try to ride as loosely as we can, I think if we've really latched onto something, it's probably a difficult process because we got this spiritual reinforcement, the brain is wiring itself in certain ways. But I bet that over time you can. And I and you know, the earlier question about prayer, this is a great time for that. Just the more that we can get humble and be looking for answers, the less rigidity, the more I think you could potentially undo some of this or find out what's your new trajectory and just have the confidence that everything is providence. So no matter where you are, God was anticipating this and can get you more and more back on the right track. So going in with that knowledge, filling your mind with positive things, and this is a, a more practical one, but talk to other people. Meaning, have conversations with people, tell them what you're going through, and and let them, because when you're in your own mind, that's when you can really get fixated on things. But when you get other people's perspectives, I've found that helps me relax and see things with with better with better perspective from them. So thanks, great question. Let's do one more. Harlan, how do you distinguish between real spirits influencing your thoughts and those effects of mental illness where people hear voices, etc.? Swedenborg wouldn't make as clear a distinction, because as we're showing here, um, it's all connected. That that he likens mental and spiritual phenomena, or mental and emotional phenomena, to the stuff that comes to our senses. Meaning, everything that I'm seeing and hearing right now, I know is not originating in me. It is coming in through my physical senses. He says that the stuff we're feeling and thinking is similarly being affected all the time from the spiritual world. So people that are hearing voices, that's most likely actually a spiritual influence rather than just the brain originating something. That's the Swedenborgian uh, take on it as far as I can as far as I can tell. There's certainly the brain matters, but it's not like it's not as much a generator as it is a communicator. Um, and there are there's certainly our own memory and personality that we draw on, but everything is in community. There's sort of this communal subconscious. And so that is, there's nothing that is happening apart from that that's just merely without a spiritual influence on it. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. The the one I answered the most ambiguously will be the last one. So I'd say, he would say, if you're, the voices are the voices of spirits. I think that I think that's what Swedenborg would say. I, I didn't get to ask him specifically about what are now called hallucinations, but I think that he would say that this is the spiritual world coming through rather than a figment of our imagination, that there is not the isolated imagination like you would think. How how would I know? That's just what, I, that's just what I'm pulling right now, and that's what I would get from my study of, of Swedenborg and these other sources. These are the biggest questions about the mind, right? Thank you for letting me ask them with you. We want you back next week. Speaking of questions, we're going to do a 10-question show next week, which means we just take questions from the audience, take our time, research them, give answers, so better answers than I just gave here. Hope you can join us for that show, and thanks everybody for hanging out.